witness. Now, who is a witness? Your mind might jump to someone called on during a trial, or maybe a person who sees an accident or a crime occur. But technically, we're witnesses whether we know it or not. All of us have seen or felt God do amazing things. Now it's time to take a stand, the stand, and share the truth about who God is to those around you. Be a witness. So you and I arrive today at a space where Jesus has put ownership in our hands. In a certain way, he's given us the keys to the car. Anybody remember the first time you had keys to the car? You're like, eh, should I be having these? Am I qualified to do this? I remember my first time um, having my own opportunity to drive a vehicle. It was very much so unplanned. Uh, Papa John's needed some hours. And, and if I told you about my, my prepaid phone a few weeks ago, right? It wasn't getting minutes by itself. And, and I remember my, my first job was Papa John's. And, and the only car in the driveway was the stick shift 96 Ford Ranger. Anybody remember learning stick shift? Anybody have anybody teach you stick shift? Okay, I didn't have anybody teach me stick shift. What should have been a 20-minute ride was about ah, 45 minutes with clutch issues and stall-out issues and the like. But the Lord has given you and I the keys to something called evangelism, something called witnessing that Jesus, he gave us the format. He gave us the template. And now he's saying, you drive. It's the most amazing thing to think about. He's God in heaven. And with all of his power, with all of his might, he asked you and I to be a part of this. That you and I would live lives. and We would model something that would encourage others to know him. God, I'm not your guy. He says, no, you are. He says, I, I use your failings. I use your shortcomings. I use every part of those things. And oh, by the way, I created you. Your shortcomings, your frailties, guess who put those in you? Guess who works in and through those things? And so we are in this space where I pray in this series, we understand what this looks like, that the goal is that when you and I go to heaven, when you and I stand before God one day, it's not by ourselves. Can I get amen? There's people in our wake. There's friends there's family, there's cousins, even the ones that are weird. Anybody got the weird cousins? I got cousins that I try to not say I'm related to. Anybody got some of those? Like who? I, I don't know. No, you're right. They are really, I forgot. That there, there's work colleagues, there, there's neighbors, there's people in our wake that, that we, our testimony, our life, our marriage, our soft responses, our, our, our heart, our generosity forgiveness. There's parts of our lives that, that we're taking people in our wake with us. Some of you, you're, you're threatening your family members to, to be in your wake, right? I don't know about that one. Anybody threatening their spouse that you are going to get saved? You are going to love God? Anyone threatening their children or grandchildren? I don't know how far the threats go, but hey, I see your heart, right? But here's what God is truly entrusting you and I with, and what you'll find out is the moment you begin to share your faith, I'm not a pastor or evangelist, even better, even better. The moment you just begin to talk about how faithful God has been in your life is a moment you start seeing God do something miraculous in your life where you, you begin to own what God has done. And you begin to be proud, not ashamed of your testimony. You know what I'm talking about? A testimony, a test in your life that God has brought you through 
and you can just brag on him and, and give him all glory and honor. Anybody have one of those? If you don't have one of those, you might be in the midst of a messimony. You know what I mean? Like it's a mess right now, but it's making its way to that testimony. You guys are supposed to laugh at that, but put a lot of time into this, okay? So at least patronize me. But you get to this space in life where you become proud of your struggles when you were single or if you're still single. You become proud of your struggles in your marriage. You become proud of your struggles being religious and just checking in and checking out. But then finding relationship and knowing that you don't got to serve Jesus. You don't got to tithe. You don't got to serve. There's this overwhelming, awesome, amazing, life-giving privilege to do these things. David said, he said, I couldn't wait to get in the house of God. He said, they couldn't stop Rain couldn't stop me. Heat couldn't stop me. Cold couldn't stop me. My adulterous past ways couldn't stop me. Someone say amen. David was real. He said the death of my firstborn couldn't stop me. He said the dysfunction in my family couldn't stop me. He said even when my children getting raped couldn't stop me. It was real. He said nothing could stop me from. This is the, the testimony that we begin to build and we begin to be proud of in our lives. So here's the challenge as a pastor. Let me bring you into my study, bring you into my time with God. It's very interesting. God must think I'm weird. You know how I say people are, God isn't weird, people are weird. I'm one of those weird people. Because I'm talking to God and I'm saying, God, how do I finish this witness series? Because some churches where you do all these gimmicks and different things to get people in the house and I'm just crazy enough to believe you can equip the saints. It's crazy to believe that without the trappings and all the stuff, you can just equip our elementary students. You can equip our middle school, high school, our college. And you can equip those who run businesses, organizations. If you equip them, they, they can take care of it. And I'm asking God, how do we get people to, to take this serious? How do we do what Jesus did? How do we say what Jesus said? How do we have a heart for what Jesus had a heart for? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that. And I'm convicted. I have this wonderful opportunity to be connected with pastors around the globe. I'm on a Zoom call just a week ago with pastors, and I'm convicted in so many ways. One pastor, he's going into Nepal. In Nepal, it's illegal to convert, and so he's risking a lot there. He's risking a lot. Another pastor, he's in Uganda, and they can't have services, he said, without proper security. And in my world, I just want to help believers be proud of who they are in Christ and their testimony and share that. So as you can imagine, when it's my turn to speak, it sounds a little bit different here in the West. But nonetheless, it's just as vital and just as important. The mandate is just as important that God desires for you and for me. And, and I don't have the answer for you and I to care about what Jesus cares about. I said this, we had our leaders meeting yesterday together, all of our leaders from the church and and inspire them and, and fill and, and encourage them for, for the services today. But, you know, I don't know how to help people understand if Jesus was a pastor, teacher today, every service would sound the same. Reach the loss, reach the loss, reach the loss. Get people to the house of God. It doesn't matter there's 99 in here. Let's go find the one. Like, that would be his heart. And, and stop worrying about their lifestyles, how they live, and everything else. Let's just reach them and let the word take care of the rest. Hopefully we got people in here that don't look alike and live alike and act alike and dress alike and think alike because that would be problematic. 
I said, just, just, just get him in the house and, and I'll take care of the rest. And, and this is his heart. Because here's the thing. If I look at just the, 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 the status of the church and, and how I've come up in my 40 years, I like saying that now. It feels, feels like I'm getting somewhere. Here's, here's kind of the model. When I was a kid, they scared literally the hell out of you is what they did. Like they didn't want you going to hell, so they scared it out of you. Anybody remember this very inappropriate traveling play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames? Anybody remember this? Okay, if you weren't a part of this, let me educate you. It was rated R. Unappropriate for children. But yet all the children were there. All the youth groups were there. And they would have these plays and depict people getting in like car accidents. It's horrible. And dying. And they wake up in hell. I'm like, Mom, I don't want to be here. And so it's highly inappropriate, not suitable for children under the age of 18, but they expose us all to it and scaring us to death so we would repent and of our transgressions and live for God. But many in that generation, many of my peers are not living for God. That maybe didn't work. And then in the 2000s, I remember the message of grace. Anybody remember the message of grace? Grace on everything. Live how you want because God loves you and God is for you. And you kind of do how you want, when you want, and, and how you want it. And one of these uh, popular um, lines would come up in the entertainment world and then filtered its way into colleges and other places is, is this, and you'll recognize this, only God can judge me. You guys remember hearing that? Only God. There was tattoos. Only God can judge me. Uh, he will. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Very accurate. However, if you open up your Bible, so Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, should we sin so great may abound more? No. And so there's these extremes, right, where you're like scaring people into being saved and sharing their faith. And this other extreme of evangelism where it's just about grace. Let everybody know, just, just, just do whatever you live, however you want. And so we've got to see what God's heart is, and his heart is going to be in the middle. His heart is going to be, Yes, there is a real heaven and hell, and yes, there is grace available, but we don't take advantage of either one of those. And this is God's heart for you and for me and for the believer and what he desires for us to know. This is a, a, a place that you and I have arrived today is this, is that no one wants to take the blame for how we are as a society. Did you notice? Everyone points the fingers different ways. No one wants to take the blame for where we are, but everybody knows the problems. Isn't that funny? And when I was on my Zoom call with pastors all over the globe, literally in real time, pastors in Asia and in the Middle East where their lives are on the line, you know what's funny? They never blame the government. They never blame the community. They never blame their neighbors. They took ownership. It's on my back to build the kingdom. It's on my back to reach the country and the culture. And if I die, then I die. Like those are moving words. You know, you and I, we quote scripture, to live as Christ, to die as gay. We quote it to teach on a Sunday. We quote it to teach to our families. They quote it to give them strength from day to day. It's different altogether. And, and here's the desire of, of the Lord's heart that you and I would stop pointing fingers and we would own this situation. We'd own this process because clearly something is missing and something is not working. That in our generations, it's almost like, can you remember the last time you shared your faith? Can you remember the last time you were moved with compassion to welcome someone and 
into a church setting or to invite someone that it wasn't a holiday? Can you remember a time where you said, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm just going to give someone my testimony or what God is doing in my life? And if you can't remember those moments, you'd be among the majority. But here's where we're going to take a turn as we conclude this series. We're going to make sure that we begin doing this more naturally and more regularly. Or this is something that we look forward to. Maybe start once a week. Once a week, can we pray for that person that we can encourage? Pray for that person that we can take to lunch. Pray for that person that is maybe like us, or maybe went through what we went through. And watch how God will move, and watch how God will entrust us in very unique ways. You know, we'll be today in, in John chapter 7, 17 rather. You can open up your Bibles and your Bible apps. And it's a very unique time in the life of Jesus. We're in the last day or two of his life. He's been betrayed by Judas. And he's doing something that we try to teach our churches. He's praying. In all seasons, in all spaces, he's seeking the Lord's counsel. He's spending time with the Lord. And what's unique about this, what I want to show you is that many of us grew up learning the Our Father prayer, right? And we call it the Lord's Prayer. However, it's not the Lord's Prayer. Can I tell you why? Because if you read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, what you find out is that Jesus couldn't ask forgiveness for sins or transgressions. Never sinned. So although he teaches the disciples a prayer, it's not the Lord's Prayer. You'll find the Lord's Prayer here. You'll also find the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 9.37 when he prays for the harvest, but this uniquely would be Jesus' prayer. And I want you to... For a moment, put yourself in the place with Jesus and the disciples. He's praying. And as he prays and as he reads together, are you moved with compassion? Do you have a heart for what Jesus has a heart for? Or is it completely foreign to you? Do you you don't get it? So read this with me. We're going to start in verse 6, and it says this. This is the true Lord's prayer. Here we go. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Jesus, he, he's taking ownership of people in his life, isn't he? They were yours. You gave them to me. and They have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. You remember Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. And anything I say comes from him. So he's reciting this in his time of prayer. And he says they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. In verse 9, Jesus has a select audience. He's not praying for the world at large. He's not praying for the general population. He's praying for his disciples here. It's really moving. Verse 10, he says, and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. You see how Jesus saw everything in his life? Everything that's mine, God, is yours. There's, there's, there's no delineation. Well, this is mine. This is God's. Everything that's mine is yours. And he goes on to say, I am glorified in them, which is to say, as you witness, as you evangelize, as you pour into others, you're glorified in God, through God, with God, and doing his work. It was inseparable, the work of God in his life, as fully God, but also fully man. Verse 11 says, now I am no longer in the world, because he's getting ready to depart, but these are in the world. 
he's speaking reality. He's like, I'm going back to heaven, but they've got to stay here. He says, I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be what? One as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Who's the son of perdition? Judas. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my full fulfill, they may have they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. There's been some tension around living for God for them. It hasn't been easy at home. It hasn't been easy in the community. It wasn't easy to drop their nets. It wasn't easy to walk away from the tax collector booth. It wasn't easy to walk away from Luke's physician practice. It's never supposed to be easy, we would see here. See, there was some tension. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. So I'm not praying, God, that you would hide them, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so in our last moments together here, what you just saw, the true prayer of the Lord's prayer, is four distinct ways the greatest witness ever began to witness in his lifetime. You see it in his prayer. You see the mandate God puts on his life. And you see him saying, God, this is what you gave me to do, and this is what was accomplished. And I wonder for you and I today walking away, if we could take these same four precepts and principles and walk them out with the rest of our lives. Here's the first one. We see this in John 17, 11, Jesus was called to unite and not divide in the spiritual sense. That whenever he came across people, whenever he had this wonderful opportunity to unite people around the gospel, around the love of God, and, and what God wanted for their lives, he took every and any opportunity. And this was difficult because sometimes for the religious elite, he'd be around what they considered unsavory characters. He was like, you were around so-and-so, you were around a certain group of Pharisees or Sadducees or, or tax collectors or, or people who maybe other people would not have been around. And, and Jesus knew something the rest of them did not know, that unity is very attractive. Unity is very attractive. And disunity is not very attractive. And so that's why oftentimes people will leave church circles and churches because there's a lot of division. I can go in the world and be united in different ways. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 reiterates the point. It says this. Ephesians 4 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of what? Unity is attractive. And Jesus took every measure he could to unite different people, to unite different groups. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. They walked around Samaria. They take the long way. Men didn't talk to women. How about this? The first time Jesus reveals he's the Messiah wasn't to a religious elite, wasn't to an academic. It was to a woman who wasn't married once, but five times and was living with a man she wasn't married to. How about that for shaking things up and creating unity? This, this was the model of Jesus. He looked 
for ways to unite, not to tear down. He looked for ways to build bridges and not walls. This is what he was. This is what he stood for. And it drove people crazy. They said, do you know who you're talking to? Do you remember the woman who, who broke the anointing oil over the alabaster rock, over his feet? They said in their hearts and in their minds, if he only knew who she was. And Jesus was thinking, if you only knew, I know who you are. That's what he was thinking. And this is, this is our Lord, where he's, he's looking for ways to unite hearts and to unite people, knowing that we have all kind of differences, but what he would teach us is that we are level at the foot of the cross. And that his love was shed for all mankind. This is his part of what he hopes for you and I to know, to understand, and to share in our communities. And I just wonder how many times this week you and I will have an opportunity to build a bridge, a bridge to Christ, a bridge of love, a bridge of unity. When it's so natural, and it's such a conversation started to divide, isn't it? It's so natural not to be that type of person. It might even be bucking the conversation and going against the system for many of us. But we have to be willing to do what Jesus did. And I've learned in my life that sometimes to be a bridge to Christ you even got to be willing to get stepped on sometimes and be willing to be unoffendable. Be willing to take one on the chin and still love and still care and still share the goodness of God. But there's this unity in the midst of the vision that Jesus shows us in so many ways. And he said, Father, I'm going to show them how you and I are united. And he says that in the scripture and he reiterates this effort and this desire. He says that they may be one as we are one. One of the symbols that you and I are, are Christians is, is our unity and how we bring together and don't tear down. Here's the second one. Jesus shows us, and you'll see this in John 17, 12, that we're to take ownership for the spiritual exposure to our spheres of influence. He says this in verse 12. He says, those whom you gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost. Jesus believed that every environment he was in, God intentionally put him there. What if you believe that for a moment? Just go through just for one moment. The job you're in, that you're, as we speak, putting in applications to get out of, okay? The house you're in, you're currently house hunting, okay? The spouse you have, you're currently thinking of exit strategies that maybe they don't know about. That's just, that's just real. The areas in life you don't want to be in, what if God has you there for a reason? What if nothing is random in your life and God has a purpose and a plan? What if God orders the steps of the righteous? What if God is making a way? What if God has you strategically where you're supposed to be? And if you just receive that, you'd begin thriving and not surviving. What if? I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but I just ask you to go along with me for a moment. What if God has you where you're supposed to be? And if you stop looking to everybody else's life and you stop looking to other lawns and begin watering the grass where you live, it'll start to get as green as other lawns. Jesus takes ownership and says, the ones you gave me. Because he believed that as he walked by places and saw men and say, follow me, and they dropped their nets, he believed God had something to do with that. He believed that when you went for an interview and they said yes, when they could have said no, he believed God put you there. 
He believed when you got married that, that God had somebody there for you and that he strategically put that person in your life. He just believed that. He believed the house he lived in, the car he drove, God gave him that. He just believed that. And so there was this contentment that he didn't need 24 disciples, he needed 12. There's just this contentment when they cut back at the company and they let one go, and now he had 11 disciples. He said, I took care of all the ones you gave me. Do you see this contentment in Jesus? It's beautiful. It's attractive. Wow, you just believe, Jesus, that every place you were, God purposed that for you? And that if you were in alignment and agreement, he knew to keep you there or to move you to a different season? You believe that, Jesus? Yes. You remember his, right after this, his prayer in the garden. Father, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Like, here's my thoughts. If there be any other way, and let me make sure you understand this very clearly, it wasn't the suffering that he was talking about. It was a separation from the Father. Because he had never, eternity past and present, ever been separated from the Father. And so Jesus just believed where he was, God had a plan and a purpose. And so God was ready to move him from one season into the next And what moved him from one season to the next? Hardship. Someone say hardship. You and I run from hardship. Jesus ran to it. They came to apprehend him in the garden. Jesus said, who are you looking for? The rest, you remember, the rest ran. Jesus said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth? Right here. Right here. He understood. God moves me from one season to the next when he's ready, not when I'm ready. When he says, not when I say. And so hardship, this is very unwestern. I get the message, right? It's not ask God for the best and the greatest and the most and, and too much and upgrading. I get it. But hardship often is a sign of God moving you and moving me. I'll be honest with you. Had I not been fired from one job, I wouldn't have my dream job. I'll be honest with you. They had this weird policy in this my first job about being on time. I don't know why, but weird policy. Weird policy. It's crazy. But had I not experienced those hardships, I would have never found what God had for me. Right? It's it's the most amazing thing how God works. And I believe if we watch the model and the pattern of Jesus, we will see that. He was so content in the spaces, but what he did in his space was he exposed people to the word of God. He exposed people to to, to spiritual things. And and this is my next point here. The next point is exposure to the word of God. You see this in verse 14. He said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. He said, I gave them your word. I exposed them to who you are. I exposed them to what you are. And apparently it took because there was some tension in the world with his disciples. And so for you, why is reading your Bible why is taking notes in a service? Why is being a part of a small group? Why is reading things important? Not just for you, but people around you. This is the expectation of the God we serve, that there would be not only exposure, but the real word of God. And do you know why he says this? Because you and I, embedded and built in the inside of us, how we're raised, what part of the country we're raised in, what part of the world we're raised in, we have embedded leans, bends, and biases that are not godly. They're just how the Serranos are raised. They're just what we, what we say, what we think in our worldview. Jesus said, I gave them the word. I gave them the word. And so for you and I to know to give people the word when they, hey, 
what should I do? They come to you about my marriage. What should I do about my kids? What should I do about my finances? Like when people ask or, or you're a part of conversations, and I hear conversations all the time, places in the stores, in the gym, other places, I'm just like, oh my gosh, if they just had someone who knew God right now. You ever just want to like interject in the conversation? So you just like kind of in your heart, you pray for them, like, God, please bring, please bring somebody with wisdom into their life. Like people are really trying to figure out with their gym part if they're going to stay in their marriage or not. That's not the person to talk to, right? An accountability partner somewhere in your life. But here's, here's what he says. Jesus says, Lord, I've exposed them to your word. I've given them your word. That's a mandate for you and I, to be able to share the word of God with people. And you don't have to know the verse and the chapter and it perfectly put together and the ESV version. Just the version that's changed your life. That's the best version of the Bible, the one that's changed your life. And so here's what Jesus shows us. I hope you're tracking with Jesus and his models and his steps to do this. And the last one is this, John 17, 15 through 16, is to be in the world and not of the world. This is the last point in the greatest witness. He says, here's what I want to show you, that we are put in this world, but it's not our final stop. And so Jesus lives in such a way where people are thrown off. They're like, but you're not consumed by this world. You're not consumed by the trappings of this world. You're not consumed by these things. In verse 15, he says, he asked God not to take them out of this world or hide them from this world. Well, that's funny because in the Christian culture, we kind of like isolate ourselves and our families and our kids from the world. Jesus was a little bit different. He didn't say, hey, God, can you, can you like prepare like organizations that would just hide them from this world? He said, no, no, no. I pray that their light shines so bright that the darkness begins to become light. I pray that people start to respond to their lifestyle and respond to their actions. Jesus prays different than I prayed for my family and my kids and my church. God, protect us from all this stuff. You know, help us to live for you in such a manner. We don't desire the things of the world. If you raise kids long enough, you can only hide them for so long. Anybody raise kids long enough to know that? My daughter's in college now. She's seeing everything. You can, you can only incubate your marriage or your kids or your family or whatever's important. You can only incubate so long. But man, the word of God can protect, can preserve, can teach wholeness versus brokenness. And every parent, every grandparent out here, here's our goal is teach our kids and our grandchildren what wholeness is. So when they run up on brokenness, when they try brokenness, like you and I tried it, we forget about that sometimes. We forget about that. Like when they try what we tried, like, you know what? But this isn't wholeness. Sin is fun for a season, but ah, this isn't it. This isn't what I desire. And the beauty of that that Jesus says that we don't shrink back and we don't hide from a, a culture and a world that is ever bending and leaning away towards God. And can I just give you a very direct signal from Jesus? The world has always been like that. We always say our culture is worse and our times are worse. It's always been like that. Different methods, same message. Anti-God, right? Do it your way. Live your way. Manipulate the word of God. And he said, we don't hide from the world is, is what he's teaching us. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. 
here's what I want to teach some of us here today. There's an interesting dynamic between the relationship of us and the world. See, our dynamic is this, is that the world needs us, but we also need the world. You and I can't properly live for God unless we're amongst ungodly people, people who are far from God, people who don't know God. You read the Bible, that's a lot of our expectations. You Like first day on the job, you got like job expectations and job duties and job requirements. You and I can't even properly live for the Lord if we're not around unbelievers, people who rub you the wrong way, people who are so religious, people who just they have a form of godliness, people who are completely pagan, atheists, or, or just you name it. The interesting dynamic is we need the world and they need us. And so now do you know why his first step was unity? His first step was building bridges. His first step was sitting plain. His first step with the woman at the well was conversating with her and treating her, watch this, like a perfect equal. That was God doing that. Showing how men should treat women, perfect equals. And so he, he shows us that this is what our relationship with the world should be. We need them, and they need us. And so the greatest witness that the world would ever know Jesus, he, he challenges us in this way. He, he shows us in this way that here's our heart in verse 15. But then in, in verse 16, you see something a little bit different where he begins to tell them, he begins to show them that everything he's done to reach the world, has been godly tactics. It's interesting because oftentimes we may feel like we have to live like the world to reach the world. We can't be so spiritual around people. You watch the model and the pattern of Jesus. He was very spiritual. He's very godly. And he reached the most unspiritual. He reached the most ungodly segments of life and culture and society. He reached the most unsavory characters. So much so, he had some nicknames around town. They weren't nice nicknames, right? They called him a friend of sinners, called a wine bibber, called him a drunk. They called him all kinds of things because of the company he associated with. But you never saw Jesus taking on their traits. You saw them taking on his traits. It was remarkable. Jesus, building bridges, so generous, generosity exuded from his character, from everything that he was. Zacchaeus, he said, I will give everything back that I stole from everyone. He wasn't even talking about tithes and offerings. He says, that's not enough. I'm going to right all my wrongs. I'm going to be generous, just like this witness. Are you seeing what's happening there? There's something beautiful about a genuine witness. There's something attractive about someone who unites and doesn't divide. There's something so refreshing about someone living for God and not trying to be like the world to reach somebody else. Did you know that? Like, when I was in the corporate world, going to the after hours events and different things, there's something refreshing about you doing different things that everybody else does. Men, women, when you're in your circles, your hobbies, your jobs, places you frequent, there's something refreshing and, and beautiful and, and very attractive about someone who just speaks well and not ill of others. Thinks the best first. Doesn't tear down the boss, the corporation, the organization. There's something refreshing about someone that says, you know what? We can control what we can control. Doesn't tear down country and, and different things. You know what? 
God is faithful. God is able. He hasn't been knocked off the throne this year or last year. So I guess that means in the coming year, he's still going to be on the throne. There's something different about that. I learned that in my life. But oftentimes, that people are looking for someone to just talk different. But we think we need to talk like that. Act different. We think we got to act just like them to reach them. They're actually looking for someone to act different. Students in the house, you always think you have to fit in. I bet you'd be surprised how many students think you're refreshing when you live like God, when you talk the way you were raised to talk, when you live for a higher standard. Single ladies in the house, there'd be something refreshing about you when you talk to other single men and you live for a standard, you don't just live for the moment. Something refreshing about that. And so what I want to say, church family, is let your light shine so others may see. What I want to say, church family, is don't hide your light under a lamp. Be a city on a hill. And not in a shove it down people's throat way and not in an annoying way, but in a very uplifting, encouraging way. In a very, very much so way that you can't wait to share the goodness of your God and your King and what has changed your life and what has given you joy and peace and hope. Amen? Because if you do this, you will join the march. What's the march? Matthew 9, 37. For me, the other true Lord's prayer. Jesus says this word, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Many of us aren't joining that march right now. We're not talking about our faith. We're not sharing our faith. We're embarrassed or we're not sure if it's appropriate or we're not sure we have the right words. None of that are prerequisites. Just trust God. Join the march. Profess your faith. Serve in your church. Raise your hand. Be accountable. Take a chance. Just like you took a chance on on marriage and family and kids and jobs and investments. We take chances all throughout our lifetime. You took a chance on your major in college. Take a chance on God. Take a chance on furthering the gospel. Take a chance on serving in your home. Take a chance on serving in your church. Take a chance on tithing. Take a chance of coming to man night. Take a chance and watch if God will begin to reveal himself to you in ways he has not before. Because what you will find, hear me clearly, is when you do things you have not done before, God begins to reveal himself in ways he has not revealed himself before. That's why the Bible says, draw near to God. He'll do what? Draw near to you. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your love. And I pray, Lord, we've opened up heaven and we've allowed your word to speak. And Lord, when we've read the words of Jesus, when we sat there, Lord, like a a fly on the wall and listened to what's in your prayer time, in your prayer closet, Jesus, we were moved with compassion. That our hearts were moved to be like you, to want what you want. Our hearts were moved to talk to God like you talked to God. There was nothing about himself in that prayer. It was all about others. It was all about the kingdom of God. It was all about the things God loved. May our hearts be moved for unity. May our hearts be moved for exposure to the kingdom. May our hearts be moved for exposure to the word of God. May our hearts be moved 
to live for you and still reach people who don't live for you, God. You could have done this any way, but you're depending on us. And so I pray that we'd honor you in this, Father, in our homes, in our workspaces, in our community, God. Give us the power. Infuse us with the power and with the focus right now. We all have different spheres of influence. And right now, can you begin asking God to show you how in your spheres of influence show you how to plant maybe small seeds, maybe open up conversations, show you how to maybe build bridges when you have built walls for years, when you've let society and you've let media and other avenues build walls in your family and your friends and your social media habits, where you begin to now build bridges. Jesus will, will use you and he will bless you for these things. So thank you, Jesus, for insight into your prayer time. I pray for myself and our church that our prayer times would mirror this prayer time that you have with the Father. Help us, God. We're arrogant. We're prideful. We're selfish, Father. We're self-centered. Lord, we are fallen, but we're saved by grace in you. Help us to care about what you care about, to love what you love, and desire to please the Father like you please the Father. And lastly, with your heads bowed, these are some of the most important moments of our service where if you are far from Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with him, that you'd welcome him into your life in this last moment of our service. Or for others, you've prayed a prayer before, but you've walked away from him. You've lived a life that hasn't demonstrated that he's your Lord. You live the contrary. This world has been your Lord and relationships have been your Lord and work has been your Lord. If you fall into any one of those two categories, I'm going to pray a prayer the most sincere prayer a human can pray before they leave this earth. And the prayer is going to be, one, if you're far from God and don't know him, repent and receive him. Or two, if you've walked away from him to rededicate your life, that you would not be like the man who cried out that he wished he would have repented. So if that's you in this place, if that's you online, I want you to posture yourself in a place of surrender. Some people lift hands some people bow their heads. Some people get on their knees. Whatever posture you want to take right now. Church family, pray this with me and those who are praying this for the very first time. If this is you, I'm going to ask you to make the decision. I'm going to ask you to repeat these words. I'm going to ask you to believe in your heart. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and welcome Jesus and the Holy Spirit into our lives. Change us and fill us. Give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship. The rest of our days, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church family, put your hands together for the goodness of our God, our King, and all those who prayed that prayer. God bless you.